Aleluia, Aleluia, Aleluia. And with your spirit. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. Glory to you, O Lord. John the Baptist appeared, preaching in the desert of Judea, and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It was of him that the prophet Isaiah had spoken when he said, a voice of one crying out in the desert, Prepare the way of the Lord, make straight his paths. John wore clothing made of camel's hair and had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. At that time, Jerusalem, all Judea, and the whole region around the Jordan were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the Jordan River as they acknowledged their sins. When he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce good fruit as evidence of your repentance. And do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God can raise up children to Abraham from these stones. Even now, the axe lies at the root of the trees. Therefore, Every tree that does not bear good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I am baptizing you with water for repentance, but the one who is coming after me is mightier than I. I am not worthy to carry his sandals. He who baptizes you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fan is in his hand. He will clear his threshing floor and gather his weeds into his barn. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Is to come. And it sounds very nice, 
the leopard shall lay with the kid, and the lion shall graze with the oxen, and the adder, well, the adder's lair will be harmless for the child to play in the snake's den. Right? That sounds very lovely. And then we get to John the Baptist, who says, Repent and believe in the gospel. There is a baptism of fire coming upon you. Right? We think to ourselves, where is all this coming from? But in Isaiah, we're missing the broader context in today's reading. Because this reading, the promise, the direct promise of the Messiah in the Gospel of Isaiah comes immediately after Isaiah prophesies that the empire of Assyria is going to mop the floor with Israel in the coming war between the two. And so the empire of Assyria in around 700 BC was the big kid on the playground for those days, and as you know, as you know from fifth grade uh, social studies class, that uh, whoever controlled the fertile crescent between the Tigris uh, and the Euphrates and Mesopotamia basically controlled the known world, right? So it was the, the big boys that in those days were Assyria. And the northern kingdom of Israel and, and Syria, not Assyria, Assyria, wanted to join a coalition with the kingdom of Judah to push against the power of Assyria, right? So, um, Assyria obviously didn't like that, and they were conquered. Now, an important thing to remember when studying or uh, reading the prophets is that God often uses the powerful of the earth, or I guess I should say the, the strong empire of the time, to humble Israel for its sins. And we read all about those sins, actually, in our uh, eight-week seven-week homily series on social justice, right? We heard a lot of the prophets talking about the sins of uh, the powerful in Israel, right? Taking advantage of the weak, the poor, uh, the widows and the orphans, right? And for their sins, God sent Assyria to punish them. But instead of taking their punishment, right, they decided to buddy-buddy with Syria and their other enemies, and then Assyria came and conquered them. And they were officially made kind of a client state by the empire of Assyria. But that wasn't enough, right? Judah didn't want to be a client state of the Assyrians. They wanted to do things on their own, right? And so, guess who they turned to to try to fight against Assyria? But the Egyptians, Egypt. Can you imagine? This is the historical context that they find themselves in. They're so desperate that they turn to that place of slavery, that place of utter destruction, they turn back to them to save them from someone else, right? And then Assyria comes knocking at the door again, the ram has touched the wall, and guess who's nowhere to be found? Egypt doesn't come to their help, and they're completely destroyed. And this is the story in the Old Testament over and over and over again. Israel sins. God sends someone to punish them, but then he lifts them up again after their repentance. And that happens with Assyria, it happens with Babylon, it happens with Persia, Greece, and then eventually Rome until the final destruction in 70 AD. But the great Savior comes before them, as we know. And so you might be thinking to yourself, Father Nick, you're boring me to death with all this historical stuff. What does this got to do with me? Stop making peace with your old sins. Stop making peace with that which enslaves you. God justly delivers us punishments for 
own foolishness. But sometimes we try to do things our own way to get out, out of the way of the punishment or to simply kind of be prideful and ignore the fact that I have sinned against God, right? It's almost like, um, well, through our own sins, oftentimes the one that we sin against, we tend to resent that person. So in our sinfulness, we tend to resent God. We say, God, why do all these bad things happen to me? Or why is my life not going in the direction that I want? But we fail to recognize that a lot of the time, the evil that happens in our life is a direct consequence of what we have sown in our own lives by our own wickedness and our own sinfulness. But if we were to turn to God humbly, then He would lift us up. Kind of like when a child, uh, like me, when I was a child, built a snow ramp in the middle of winter, and then I like used a cheap snowboard to like do tricks, or like built a plywood ramp and used my razor scooter to jump over it, right? And my mom says, I don't know, that seems kind of like a bad idea. I'm like, ah, mom, what do you know? I'm gonna go be one of the cool kids and jump the ramp. And then inevitably, I used a razor scooter, jumped the ramp, skid my knee, and then the very first thing I do is, mom! <laughs> I scraped my knee, I need your help, right? And kids are innocent, right? As soon as they mess up real bad and hurt themselves, they go immediately to their parents. And their parents welcome them back, and even though they're, you know, they're, they're crying, they're like, it's gonna be okay, right? But if the child was prideful, if, the, if he didn't want to come to his parents to say that he was sorry, then you're darn right, the parent will have to tell them that they were being dumb, right? And so we come to John the Baptist. John the Baptist, who preaches a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And people from all over the countryside of Judea and Jerusalem come to confess their sins. They come to confess their sins. And so when is the last time that you've darkened the threshold of the confession? Maybe it's been a while, or maybe you do go to confession often enough, but that's often a pet peeve of mine. I don't know about Father McManus, but um, often a pet peeve is when people do try to make deals with their sins. They make peace with their sins, right? They maybe have a habitual sin, but they try to make excuses for why they keep doing it. Maybe they had a real bad sin in the past, but they gave this big long story as to why they did it, instead of just simply, humbly confessing their sin, number and kind. They want to make every excuse in the book. And I think Father PJ knows that when that happens, when people make excuses, then we tend to be harsher on those types of people. Instead, otherwise, if someone came in and humbly confessed their sins and was hard on themselves, he will also say that it's often our job to lift them up. We make excuses for them so that they can grow in the life of grace, right? To actually show them where God's hand is actually working in their life and to give them some hope, right? But it's the prideful that God lowers. And immediately before our reading from Isaiah, God chastises Assyria and says, the tall trees of Assyria will be chopped down and the mighty will be brought low. And just like John the Baptist, he says, the axe is at the base of the tree. Stop trying to prune your sins. 
and making it look pretty, like a Christmas tree, and hanging ornaments on it for a confession, or instead making peace with your sins in your life, saying, well, I deserve to do it every once in a while. Or it's not that bad, right, even though I know it is. But instead, taking the axe and chop the evil tree down. That which bears evil fruit in us, chop it down. So that from its stump, the sprout can come. It's not really easy, as you can probably imagine. Also, um, John the Baptist talks about how Jesus, the coming Savior, has this winnowing fan in hand. And it's an agricultural symbol uh, on the threshing floor of any mill or place that processes grain, right? They have to beat the grain with a stick in order to separate the grain from the chaff, right? And then the fan blows the chaff away, the chaff to be burnt, right? And there's work to be done. There's work to be done in each one of us. And remember the beautiful image of the lion raising with the oxen and the children playing with the snake and the leopard lying with uh, the kid, right? I've been to Jerusalem. I haven't been to the Jerusalem Municipal Zoo. I haven't had the pleasure yet. But I'm pretty sure that this prophecy hasn't been fulfilled because the Jewish zookeepers feed the lions wheat or uh, hay or whatever, right? Pretty sure they eat meat just like every other lion in the whole world, right? So how is this prophecy fulfilled? It's fulfilled in us that those predatory, predatory parts of us that are inclined to sin will lay and make peace with the parts of us that want to go over to the side of the Lord. That, that innocent lamb, the, uh, the little kid, the, uh, the child that wants to turn to the Lord will finally make peace with those parts of us that are inclined to sin. And this Advent gives us an opportunity to do just that, but the work needs to be done. And so the axe lays at the root of the tree. He has his windowing fan in hand. And the opportunity is there for us to do something about it. And so what are we going to do about it?